listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut. Today, it is the evening of Thursday, the 3rd of June in Seoul, and it's just afternoon in London, Great Britain, where I'm joined by, via Zoom by today's guest, Ian Bennett, to talk about the work of Chawson Exchange. Before we do that, I'd like to remind all of you, please, to leave a review about this podcast wherever you can and share the episode with everyone you know and three people you don't. Secondly, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription. If you sign up for the annual plan, it's less than a dollar a day, and it helps to fund the excellent journalism that my colleagues put out every day. Also, if you have any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please email us at podcast at nknews.org. Now, my guest today, Ian Bennett, is the program director for Chawson Exchange, where he runs entrepreneurship workshops usually in the Pyongyang and Pyongyang regions, although more recently during COVID travel restrictions in an online format, which is interesting in and of itself. So we're talking about lots of that today. Ian, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jacko. Good to be here. Uh, what is Chawson Exchange? What is Chawson Exchange? So Chawson Exchange, we're an NGO which supports entrepreneurs and uh, business-minded people, business-minded North Koreans, through workshops, online education, internships, mentoring programs, and so on. Uh, we've trained about 2,600 to 3,000, depends how you count it, uh, North Koreans uh, since, since we started just over a decade ago. Give us a little potted history, if you would. How, how did it begin and you know, who founded it and that sort of thing? Yeah, so, I mean, the early years, it's before my time. So it started when our founder, Jeffrey C., who many of your listeners may know, visited North Korea back in 2007. Mm. Uh, then he met North Korean students who'd taken notice of the increased numbers of Chinese tourists coming in and said, oh, hang on, you know, the world's changing. We, we don't want to get left behind. That sort of planted the seed in, in Jeffrey's mind. Uh, and it took a while to get off the ground. So it took a couple of years. And so much about working in North Korea is about finding the right partners. So pretty modest beginnings. We had a stand on the Pyongyang Book Fair back in 2009. Of course, this was about the same time as the currency reforms were taking place in mm. North Korea. So there was, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of interest uh, in these sorts of things. I guess from 2010 to 2015, they're the kind of early years. This was again about finding our feet, building relationships. We did workshops, pretty yeah, pretty ambitious. Uh, we went to to Rasan, Wonsan, Pyongyang, Pyongsong, and uh, it was really just about seeing seeing what sticks, what works, which partnerships work best, and what formats work best. It it was really uncharted waters, I guess. Mm. Is there a sort of a, a one-sentence mission statement or vision statement for Chawson Exchange? Yeah, so I suppose we would say that we're really about enabling and empowering the next generation of North Korean entrepreneurs. Mm, okay. Now, entrepreneurs, of course, that, that word, it conjures up associations with capitalism. So is it a bringing market forces, bringing some form of capitalist enterprise, enterprise related to entrepreneurship, mm. into North Korea? Well, I mean, look, you've used the C word, right? So um, capitalism is it's obviously it's a loaded statement. It's, ah. it's, it's evocative. Is that still a dirty word in North Korea? Uh, I would say yes, it, it has okay. resonance. So there's you can talk about uh, when you're talking about things like uh, talking about what works and what doesn't work in a mixed economy. That's mm -hmm. a very different thing from, you know, standing on standing on a street corner 
handing out copies of Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations as if we're some kind of, uh, you know, proselytizing for one kind of economic model. Mm. You know, this isn't this isn't about that. We're not. Uh, I don't find those sort of definitions helpful. What we're what we're trying to do is bring people in who can explain what works and and this is important. What doesn't in in market economies and about how to navigate those. Yeah, there are those who would who who use that. But as you say, it is it is a bit of a dirty word. And whenever you use a word that carries emotional resonance, and this isn't just in North Korea, this is in any country. When you mm. use a word that has so much emotional resonance, then the messaging can be lost. So, yeah. um, so no, we don't talk about it in, in those terms, and I don't consider it in those terms either. Okay, but entrepreneurship in and of itself and, and enterprise, um, these are okay words in North Korea? Yes, yeah. Now, that's that shifted over time. Uh, we used to avoid words like profit. You know, mm. Even if you talked about profit, that would seem as a, um, a bit of a dirty word bit more relaxed about that these days but yeah we talk about entrepreneurship we talk about how to make businesses successful mm -hmm. and make small businesses successful and yeah that's that's perfectly fine now, when you talk about things like business funding or business financing mm. are loans possible in north korea business loans they don't have the bank the same a banking system that uh, that you or I would really recognize in the same kind of way. A lot of money comes through associations, through through families, through, uh, I guess, lines of influence. So perhaps not the same sort of formal formal mm. methods of, of, of seed funding that you would understand, that you or I would understand. Uh, your average North Korean doesn't, you know, go along to the local bank and say, here's my business plan. Can you give me um, this money at this, uh, at this rate? It doesn't work right. quite that way. It is true that... So funding for, for small businesses is very difficult. Are there business angel investors, people who do have money who look at projects that might be interesting and put money into them? Yes, there are. There are. But it's like a lot of these things in North Korea. There's what's what formally goes through the books um, yes. and what doesn't. A lot happens in that gray area. Okay. Now, how did you get involved, both um, your interest in, in uh, North Korea and in, in Chosun Exchange? Right. Yes. So I, I covered off some of the some of the early years before I joined. Well, I, I did my first workshop in 2015. Mm. Now, myself, I, I'd already traveled to North Korea several times uh, as a tourist, actually. Uh, my first trip was in 2008, I believe. I was one of the last last I was living in South Korea at the time. And mm -hmm. I was one of the last uh, tour groups that went over the DMZ to the uh, to Gumgangsan, to the oh, yeah. resort. So, yeah, I was I was very interested in the place. I'd, I'd been a number of times as a tourist, as I say, but I wanted to try something else as well. Uh, so I did a bit of Googling and I found these guys in Singapore who were like apparently running business delegations to the country, mm. uh, as I said, you know, with helping entrepreneurs. And I thought, yeah, what, really? Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought no, no harming, no harm in getting in, in touch. And at, at that stage, I'd also been working in management consultancy for some time. So mm -hmm. I thought maybe I've got some some skills that are, that are useful here. Yeah. So uh, obviously skeptical at the start thinking like it's North Korea really, really ready, ready for these sorts of ideas. Mm -hmm. Aren't we going to have minders with us the whole time? Uh, and then, yeah, a few months later, I'm there sitting with Andre Abrahamian, who um, form, form a guest on this podcast. On this podcast, when we had his book, Being in North Korea, talked about it last year. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. So I find myself sitting across uh, from Andre in a, in a coffee shop in London, and he's explaining 
just you know just what it was like and um mm. how we you know the trips go in and the business visas the participants uh you know regular north korean folk and it seemed like another world so i thought okay i'll give it a go and i went along and i did my first workshop then uh, i was working as a product manager at that time so i gave a kind of product management 101 mm. and then i returned later in the year a couple of times the following year and and do you know what it was really it was great seeing the same faces coming back uh, uh -huh. people who'd joined the workshop before like, oh hello again mr ian we remember you from last time i took these notes i've been reading about this that was that was really encouraging yeah but i then continued to to work with Charles on exchange did a bit of outreach work and then ended up taking on the role of head of programs which is what i'm doing now so that's that's a little potted history of how i got involved now, over the uh, the decade or so of its existence, there's obviously been lots of different people who have uh, gone to volunteer their their time and talents in giving a training program. What kind of people yeah. from, I suppose, both in terms of what kind of fields uh, or occupations and also just what kind of personalities have, have volunteered to go up uh, and, and give a, a training? Yeah, I mean, it's quite niche, right? So mm. if, if, I was if I was drawing a Venn diagram, which is a really bad idea on a podcast, but you're going to have to go with that. You'd yeah. have like, you'd have the set of people who want to go to North Korea, but yep. for whatever reason, they don't want to go as a tourist. And then overlapping that, you've got the set of people who are qualified to do it. We don't just want gap year kids, right? It's about people who've worked in business for many years. They've mm. got practical skills that students want. Oh, and then you've got the other set, which is people who've heard of Charleston Exchange and, uh, and believe it's a real thing. Right. So that cohort, that overlap, that tiny overlap in the middle, that's us. But in terms of who fits into that cohort, well, I mean, there is no typical workshop leader. There, We've had people from big management consultancy firms, from like McKinsey's. We've had people from Facebook. Actually, we, we had a guy from Facebook, and that was one of the points that really resonated with me. This was a few years back now. He stood up at the front of the room, introduced himself, said, and I work for Facebook and that's a company on the internet and just nothing, nothing, no mm. recognition whatsoever. So yeah, we've had people from all, all those sorts of, all, all sorts of industries like that. Interesting. What year was that in the Facebook fella? Uh, I think that was 2015, 2016, something mm. like that. Could one of my uh, more recent guests on the show there, uh, Lindsay Miller, uh, with her mm. book about being in, uh, I've forgotten the title momentarily, but uh, she wrote about uh, the two years that she spent in uh, North Korea living on the diplomatic compound. And she mentioned that the, mm. the waitress at the, uh, the cafe that all the foreigners would go to was sick to death of hearing about Facebook and Internet. <laughs> was that the, the Gumrung Cafe? I, I actually don't know which cafe. I, I honestly um, couldn't tell you, but okay. so, but obviously she was not um, in that particular training session with the gentleman from uh, from Facebook. Uh, no, no, I I, I guess not. Um, although the if it is the Gumrung Cafe, which is a very modern cafe that is in in downtown Pyongyang, we did actually work with the ladies from there, um, and some of them came to our women in business program. So uh -huh. um, yeah, they're one of our um, one of our success stories and people that we we go back to and and try and pop in on when we're in town when we when we can go there. Right, which which uh, obviously hasn't been for over a year, and we'll get to that a bit later on. Uh, how has the uh, the work or mission or the goals of Chaucer and Exchange changed over time? 
we've done a few different programs over the years and you know, we've done a women in business program we've done a young enterprise network we've done a provincial development program all with slightly different slants i guess our program focus has tracked quite closely with changes in the North Korean economy mm -hmm. uh, and also changes in international uh, international conditions which make it more or less attractive for people to go or more or less possible for people to go. Mm. So you know, some of the internal factors which have affected us, things like uh, access to capital, how happy people are to talk about property development and property ownership. Also, I mean, the big change during our time uh, that we've been going is the special economic zone policy. That's mm. been another major factor. We work closely with one of the special economic zones uh, just north of Pyongyang, up in Pyongsong. Oh, yes. The science city of North Korea. Yeah, that, that's right. Indeed, yes. So the uh, where the, the State Academy of Sciences are based up there and uh, in a place called Unjong Park, which is, um, yeah, just, just north of Pyongyang, about mm. 30 kilometers north. Other things, I guess, sort of more intangibles, things like increasing understanding of the importance of networking and, and lateral ties within, uh, within society. Is that tough? I ask that specifically because I hear from a lot of people who do work in or with North Korea, that it's a heavily siloized, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but a, uh, a siloed, vertically siloed economy in, in or a society in which the people of one group, you know, one organization may not know the people from another organization and certainly wouldn't communicate with them, partly because they're in a form of organizational competition with them. Mm, I think that's I think that's fair. And that can slow down growth that can make things very difficult, uh, you know, particularly when people are uh, trying to get business plans together. And as you mentioned before, talking about getting capital and, and trust uh, together for, mm. for for getting things off the ground. So yes, that does make things difficult. One of the things we do in our workshops is uh, we, we really focus on the on the hands on on the on breakout groups on getting people, you know, mixing with people that they wouldn't necessarily have worked with before in more sort of problem solving sort of group tasks. Yeah, hopefully that, you know, in, in a very, in a very small way, hopefully that, you know, that gets people chatting to people outside their, their normal social and, and work circle. What kind of North Korean people are able to participate in your programs and how has that changed over time? The people who come along to our programs, it depends on the program that we're running. <laughs> in the early days, and in fact, by default, uh, unless we specify otherwise, just a lot of guys. It's a you know pretty patriarchal society in, in some ways. So we started our women in business program still be like a couple of guys at the back and you're like why, why are you here but mm -hmm. um you know that that did help that helped the gender balance i i mean i guess the the underlying perhaps the underlying to your question is and, and one of the criticisms of us is is it just the elite is it just you know is the audience full of you know party cadres is it full of um you know senior figures it's not it wouldn't be accurate to say that yes we have a perfect cross-section of society but equally, if you went and did a seminar at a university here in, in the UK, you wouldn't get a perfect cross-section of society. You wouldn't mm. get a skew towards people who've either the ability or the opportunity uh, to find themselves in those seats in the auditorium. And that's true in North Korea as well. It is true that graduates are a higher number, but I, I do 
it's not exclusively graduates. There is a, a good balance, a good age balance. Uh, we do get a lot of younger graduates who just come out of good North Korean universities. And in a lot of ways, it's not actually that bad, in my personal opinion, if we don't have that perfect cross-section. Because these are the people who are going to go on and, but rightly or wrongly, these are the people who are going to go on and make change in the society or go and make positive change in the society. They're the future of the society, perhaps I would phrase it as. So they're the ones who, um, who are going to be able to do more in the future. And hopefully we're, we're, you know, we're, we're helping them on their way. How does a would-be North Korean participant uh, in one of these programs find out about it and then express interest in it yeah so it's it's a combination really there's you might think that you know the audience are all just selected in advance and that everyone is you know carefully vetted and like i i can't i can't prove a negative in fact that that goes with that goes with a lot of our um a lot of the, the criticisms of Charles on exchange but the way that I've seen it working with working with our participants is that um, with working with our partners, excuse me, is that we will work with them on a topic to define the topic, the overarching topic for the next set of workshops. They will then look at the skill set that we have, the, the people who are speaking, the topics they're speaking on, and then they'll reach out within their network within the city that we're teaching in at that time to publicize the program for us much like you do if you were doing a seminar in any other country except for they have the better knowledge of the local network uh, than we do and so they can say well you know these guys are going to be talking about branding for example in this workshop maybe it's maybe there's going to be a heavy focus on branding or marketing well B2Cs, uh, that, that, would have, that would be more relevant to B2C organizations uh, than perhaps B2Bs, that sort of thing. So they, they help and, and then they will go and work with those organizations. People will get the permission to have the days off to attend the workshops. Uh, our workshops are normally three to four days. They'll get, the, they'll get the time off and then they come along. But to link that back to uh, what we were talking about earlier about North Korea being a somewhat uh, vertically siloed place hmm. if you're depending on your partners to uh, go through their networks to find potential participants uh, how do you encourage them to look more widely than or more broadly than their uh, their vertical line so our partners are have a, a, a fairly broad view uh, they're not just looking up and down their own network mm -hmm. uh, they work uh, with a large number of organizations businesses uh, academic institutions inside the country uh, and they also work with other international organizations as well. So they have a they have a much wider view than the uh, much wider view and a much wider network than the average North Korean does. Mm, okay. Now, um, over time, what uh, areas are North Korean participants becoming more or less interested in? So I suppose first of all, they they don't know what they don't know. Okay, so there's yeah. there's always going to be new topics that we bring in and that they didn't know they were interested in. Mm. And then once we've done one, once we've done one seminar on it, they they'd like to see more of that. Balancing that, we don't just teach what they request. There's a lot of topics I'm sure they'd love for us to teach, but look, we do set our own agenda. We're not just there doing uh, doing requests. So we're finding we try and find that sweet spot between what our partners want what we want to teach, and also where our lecturers have expertise. Mm. Uh, so 
all of our workshop leaders are volunteers. Uh, people will bring their own set of skills and experiences to the to the workshop. And I mean, to use a sporting analogy, we we don't play them out of position. If somebody's if somebody's skilled in an area, then we'll we'll try and adapt, uh, find something in that area that relates to the overall workshop. So the North Koreans, I mean, they'll request a lot of topics. Uh, there's a lot that we don't touch. We don't touch uh, technology. We don't touch banking. Uh, we don't touch anything that would would cause any sanctions issues. Mm -hmm. So of course, I'm I'm sure the North Koreans would love for us to to talk about some of those areas, but yeah, that's that's not us. But also, what else have they become interested in? I, I guess it, in some ways, it follows national priorities, but also shifting norms. So. As I said before, people will now be asking in broad terms how they can make a business profitable uh, when profit in the past was a dirty word. Also, other things, it might just be that something has appeared maybe in a recent academic paper or it's been on one of their internal uh, internal webinars and, and that's piqued interest. And then participants will ask about that because it's something recently in the news. One example I had of that was when I did I, I did a session a few years ago where I was talking about analyzing the market for a new product you were yeah. going to bring to market and you do what they call SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Oh, yes. And I did, I did just a really brief overview of that. And then they came, there, there was dozens of questions about that at the end. And it transpired that there'd been an article out uh, quite recently about that. And so that was a, an example of shifting trends, also acceptability within, acceptable to ask that question and that overall interest in um, in making their businesses work. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody, I mean, despite you being a, an NGO and a, a, a volunteer-driven organization, not everyone is is quite on board with the mission and work of, uh, of Chaucer and Exchange. It does have some critics. What do critics say about Chaucer and Exchange and its work? How long have we got? Uh, so um i mean look let, let's start right we we get criticized on on both sides so some people would say that means we're doing something right um yeah you know, maybe we we might be the first people perhaps to you know unite the kfa on the left and 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 josh stanton on the right that's the uh, korea friendship association yes so if, if we've got if, if both of them are um are criticizing us then i guess you can infer from that that we're we're somewhere in the middle mm -hmm. but look you know more seriously let me let me kind of uh, address these so i mean the first one i suppose is let's look broadly trust and exchange it's it's a tough one to deliver a succinct i guess elevator pitch for uh, uh like so what you're just teaching entrepreneurs in north korea people have only got so much attention so you keep it brief and in fact with such emotional topics as north korea a lot of people are going to already bring their own ideas to the uh to the debate so and that may not reflect the depth of what we do or certainly not the depth of what we do in the you know in the 30 seconds you've got to describe it to people yeah so what else, what have i heard well gosh uh, there are those uh, those on the right that have said that we're propping up the system, that, that we're giving money to the government. Uh, what else? Um, apparently, the participants are all spies and senior party figures. Uh, what else? Supposedly teaching teaching weapons manufacturing, which is uh, interesting. Um, spreading capitalism, as you men mentioned. I mean, there's a lot, right? So I, I can certainly... <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, to me, I could respond to each and every one of those, but um, people, as I say, a lot of those are not based on a sober analysis of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. They're based on bringing ideas that people already held. Does Chosen Exchange help North Korea to evade uh, sanctions? No, it does not. What about, uh, does, North, uh, does Chosen Exchange help North Korean hackers to uh, get money away from bank accounts? No, it does not. No, we we don't teach. We certainly don't teach anything to do with technology or finance. So, um, mm-hmm. okay. So nothing on the, on the the SWIFT mm. system, cryptocurrency. Yeah. <laughs> These are topics that Chosen Exchange hasn't taught anything on. Is that right? <laughs> that's correct. That's quite correct. That's quite correct. Um, as I say, there there might be things that uh, that the North Koreans would uh, would would like to be taught, but mm. they're, they're not areas that we would touch. I mean, look, when we get to these, and look, I understand from a sanctions point of view why people would have those concerns, and it might be a quick assumption to to come to that that that's what we're doing. We're not, you know, when people, when I hear people say things of that degree, it's interesting, and and it it, it almost makes me laugh because it it flatters in terms of what you know what we're able to achieve we we we're, we're very small you know we're it we we're largely taking people there to prove concepts of how tuition can be run mm-hmm. uh, not you know it this it, these aren't long extended um university courses running over many years going into the real depths of these things you know uh, about the time when somebody said that we were going and teaching you know propping up propping up the, the government and teaching them to make weapons. I was in the country at the time and we were d- doing a design workshop and we had a bunch of the audience trying to design the new brand for a notional hairdressers mm. in Pyongyang. And they, you know, the gap between reality mm. and criticism couldn't have been starker, really. Now, although you don't, uh, you don't teach finance, but surely in, in doing anything uh, to do with uh, business or, or trade, there has to be some mm. uh, you know, financial concepts such as, you know, I don't know, um, international remittances or uh, what you do with money yes. overseas, that sort of thing. I mean, how how, uh, how do you draw that line between what's okay and what's too far? Um, so we're very careful with the topics before we, we review all of them before they approved for mm-hmm. the workshop. We certainly wouldn't get to that level of kind of international remittances, but the business is a very broad topic. Mm. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, there, there's absolutely no way that we could get down to uh, to those levels of details in a three to four day workshop. Um, and indeed, you'd, you'd probably lose a lot of the audience. Uh, this is quite a broad audience. Mm. Um, and uh, if we were to get down really into the nitty gritty of things like you mentioned, international remittances, it just wouldn't apply to a lot of people who are really just looking to do things like set up a, a bunch of convenience stores in the Pyongyang area, mm. or maybe found a new restaurant. It just doesn't, it wouldn't apply to them. It wouldn't be relevant and it wouldn't be uh, something we'd want to teach anyway. So really most of the focus is on doing business by, for, and with North Koreans within North Korea. Yes. Yeah. Certainly with the, with the workshops we do in the country, when international sanctions tightened up, I mean, let me take a step back. Uh, mm. When the special economic zones were were set up, um, and that was you know, over a period of, of many years, but of course they were they had an initial aim to promote. Um, one of their initial aims was to promote trade. 
now when sanctions tightened up, uh, we then went back to them and said, look, we, you know, we, we're not here about teaching you, uh, we're not able to teach you um, these topics anymore, mm. but here's what you can do during this time while sanctions are tighter is focus on the domestic market. And it's still contrary to a lot of expectations. It's still a pretty competitive domestic market. Mm. Um, and it's quite hard for North Korean firms who may not have been exposed to all of the buffeting of the winds of international business to, to really understand how to differentiate their, their businesses from each other mm. um, and, and to make them competitive. And that's where we've been trying to help. Is there a, uh, a particular criticism of Chawson Exchange that has given you most pause and make you think about whether you are doing the right thing? Yeah, I, I suppose the biggest one for me is, does it work? And that broadens into a, I guess, a definition of success. Really. Mm. So if we are taking workshop leaders in every year, it takes a large amount of time. As I say, we, we are a volunteer network. Uh, to get people in and out of North Korea on these programs takes uh, a lot of organization, um, a lot of time. And of course, all the workshop leaders are, are giving up of their time as well. Yeah. And so it, it's a lot of investment. And what level of success makes that worthwhile? Mm. Like how many how many long-term companies? What, what if all of that just meant that a handful of companies were successful? Would that yeah. be enough? I don't know that. I, I, I think everyone has their own answer to that. Um, and I've, I've kind of come, come to my own definitions of it. Uh, but everyone, everyone has to reach their own. But it can be difficult, um, especially when you have radio silence for long periods of time, especially during the earlier years when we didn't have so many longitudinal data points we mm. didn't have it was a few anecdotes of oh yeah i saw mr kim last year and here he is again and he he says he's doing well now mm. and is anecdotes enough we're getting more on that now and that's more encouraging but for a, for a while though you know you needed to to keep quite a lot of faith so i'd say that's probably the the biggest criticism so has has Chawson Exchange over time developed some internal performance indicators or other metrics of success just for you know, for the organization? Yeah, so we we monitor the number of particularly with our participants who are building um, building prototypes and taking products to market. Mm. So we didn't have too much of that in the in the early days, but uh, we we're monitoring. I think it was about twelve prototypes that were taken to market and of course there's not the flow of information you know this isn't this isn't a ticker going along the bottom of the screen it's it's very patchy mm. but we do we do follow uh, some of the people we've worked with to see and we check in with them uh, on well, whenever whenever we're in the country uh, has uh, the criticism of Chawson Exchange made it difficult to acquire and retain the best volunteer trainers you know you don't know what you don't know I guess is the answer to that. Um, I think that in the time that I've been working there, we've seen a much larger pool of people who are willing to to come and offer their uh, to offer their time. As mm -hmm. I said, the, the the workshop leaders are not paid, um, so everyone who comes and offers their time is um, you know we take that seriously. Uh, most people, because of the nature of it, because of the same skepticism that I had on day one, uh, most most people there are is word of mouth. Mm. So a lot of people still will come from previous workshop uh, from a recommendation from someone else who said, 
I did this, it yeah. was amazing, um, you should do it too. And those sorts of things, those work in, in a sort of network in, in the same way that any network builds is one person tells, um, I think you said at the start of the show, tell, tell your friends to, to get a NK News uh, subscription and right. tell three others. So that's, that's perhaps a bit like how we've, how we've grown as well. So I've seen no drop at all in quality. Mm. In fact, it's, we're now, uh, last few workshops we've had, we've had a, a kind of embarrassment of choice, oh. in fact, and, and been able to um, been able to really hone the messaging rather than just have people come and talk about you know whatever's on their mind that day. We yeah. really push people into specific areas, which has meant that the workshops can have a ground overarching message and a coherence between them. Okay, now let's talk about what's uh, happening these days. The last year or so, mm. North Korea has been under a self-imposed isolation and, and lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's been tighter even than the tightest sanctions have ever been on North Korea. How has this affected the work of Chaucer Exchange? Well, as you say, we, we haven't been able to travel. So we, I mean, we all met up just before the, uh, just before COVID took off and we had grand plans for 2020. We were really, you know, 2019 was was a was a great year. We we'd really we really felt like you know we can launch from somewhere to do more and more in country programs here. Of course, that all stopped. So what we did is we sat down, pivoted, had a had a think, and decided that what we could do was, in the absence of travel, was to move some of this online. And then, so we, we kind of had two different um, two different routes uh, that we were doing it online. Uh, one was working with the with international North Koreans, and the other one was to do in-country training programs, uh, which we would send as via sort of online uh, recordings, online uh, lectures, which would then be shown on on the North Korean intranet or, or and represented mm. um, presented again by local lecturers. So those were the two main ways of continuing education. Um, we also started another program which we are calling our Gangwon Development Initiative, which was working over with Gangwon province over on the, on the East Coast and helping, helping to continue our work there, starting to put the plans down for continuing. We've got this five-year plan, you say five-year plan, that's huh? starting this, doesn't it? Uh, five-year roadmap, let's say, um, and uh, to, to helping them build out their tourist development. Uh, so that's all, uh, we've, we've started work on that. And that's, um, there's a website for it of uh, Kangwon Korea, Kangwon with a K, uh, the, mm. the north, north way of spelling. Yeah. And we, we presented that at the Pyongyang, uh, sorry, the Pyeongchang uh, Peace Forum and the Jeju Peace Forum last year. Mm. But yes, um, in terms of educational work, it's the, it's the first two, the online education and, uh, and then the, uh, the remote training. Now, North Korea is not, a, not known as a country to have good internet access. Uh, what technical difficulties had to be overcome in order to run webinars with North Korean counterparts? Well, yeah, there's, there's two levels of restrictions, as you, as, as you say. There's technical and there's the non-technical. Mm. Actually, the technical restrictions are not so great. So uh, the pipe... I don't know if it's a real pipe, but let's let's pretend it is. It's it's plenty wide enough uh, to be able to do this, to do video calls. Um, foreigners in the country have done it several times. I know Simon Cockrell of uh, of Corio Tours. He's done several live interviews to the BBC, Sky News, and so on from inside North Korea. 
I mean, the cost is eye-watering, oh. but the, the tech is fine. There aren't really that many technical restrictions, mm -hmm. which would mean that video calling or, or other things couldn't take place. What about non-technical obstacles? Yeah. Well, uh, as you can imagine, they're, they're probably the larger uh, contingent here. Yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the, the issue is the same as any new channel of communication with North Korea. They're, they're cautious. And you might say they have very good reason to be wary of any new channels of information flows, but we could, we could do a whole podcast on, on that topic alone. Uh, I would say that there's a, there's a maximum velocity of change that uh, with working with North Korea. And part of the soft skills, I guess the diplomatic art of this is knowing when things are possible and when they're not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, it all comes down to trust and building those relationships, which are built up over many years, which is something we've done. Now, when we started this webinar program, uh, we did the first one last year and all of the presentations we did were recorded and then sent into the country. You might reasonably assume that they were checked over for content. I can't confirm or deny that because I don't know, but uh, they were recorded. They were watched asynchronously by people within North Korea. But we then work with our partners, our international partners, and it was actually their idea to say to us, well, why don't you just do this live? And then we won't have to, we won't have to send this in. Huh. Um, and, we're, and we're like, all right, well, <laughs> Let's let's do that then. Um, and um, so again, that's it's it's a function of trust, um, and it's a function of of building those relationships up to a point. You know, those are those. There are those non-technical, uh, long non-technological -techn hurdles to overcome, mm -hmm. uh, but they're not insurmountable. Now, in preparing these webinars, is communication with your North Korean partners, be it by email or telephone, smooth? Yeah. So. Just to sort of step back a little bit, the, the first set of the webinars was aimed, was watched in real time by North Koreans abroad. So the, the North Korean diaspora. Mm. And that took a lot of work. You know, again, there's those, you know, the trust issues and the, the confidence that, that's required. We needed to have anonymity for all the participants. So um, very, very unusual webinar experience where you've got the presenter uh who's speaking you've got me as the as the host and then you've got a bunch of sort of student one student two student three mm. and the only way they're communicating is through you know, through through the chat window on the webinar so we started off with that and then once that built that's when we we added on the the in-country side in terms of preparing for this well from my point of view it was tremendously smooth but then I'm comparing it to working in country. Yeah. So when you're working in country, I mean, it can be like pulling teeth uh, because mm. it's you're reliant on email, telephones into the country. Everything goes through the Pyongyang switchboard. You, you dial a number, ask for the extension. Your partner might, might not be there. They might have popped out for a cigarette. They might have been called away to work. It takes a long time. Yeah. Whereas working with, with the North Korean diaspora, it's... They just you know you just drop them a drop them a text message, and they took care of a lot of the the finer points of working um, of setting up those in country webinars for us. Um, we're very grateful to to them for that. Just to clarify for our listeners, there, when you say North Korean diaspora, does this mean people who are still North Korean citizens who are going back to North Korea who are temporarily living abroad, mainly in China, for work or study purposes? 
It means exactly that, yes. Okay, so th this would not include North Korean uh, defectors or refugees or however you, you label them? These are... Correct, it would not include those people. Okay, uh, tell us how the latest batch of, uh, of webinars went. So we, we ran, as I said, we ran the first version of the, of the webinars last year and that went, that went very well indeed. Um, and so building upon that this year, we set up a, uh, a set of six, six webinars the first three uh, were attended only by uh, people from the North Korean diaspora. Um, and then in the second half of it, we were joined online by people live in, in Pyongyang. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was, um, that was a wonderful moment mm. to hear, you know, to, to see via webcam people online right now in, in Pyongyang, uh, to hear, you know, people <laughs> when you're, when you're working, when you're on a call and it says, um, you know, Professor Professor Kim is in the waiting room. Do you, do you want to admit her? Mm. Um, that, those sorts of things, just right here from my uh, from my apartment in London. That that was pretty special, and we got great feedback from the participants. Um, and uh, uh, a lot of them were quite surprised uh, from the international North Koreans. A lot of them were quite surprised to see to see North Korea um, to see a live live webcam. For them, it was a uh, for a lot of them, it was the first time they'd seen such a thing. Yes. Is, are you, as far as you know, is Chosun Exchange the first organization to be doing live webinars with North Koreans in North Korea? Well, I mean, let's let's draw a, a slight distinction here. There is, from the point of view of internal uh, webinars, that's something they've been doing for a long time. Right, on their intranet. Absolutely. And, you know, in some ways you might argue that they're in some ways a little bit... I wouldn't say as much ahead, but um, that's fairly normal uh, to do there, especially in a country where transport is quite difficult. Mm. Uh, internal webinars are definitely a thing. Other people have done it. I mean, PUST, so that the Pyongyang Institute, University of Science and Technology, they have been doing some remote sessions, I believe, I believe over Skype. But uh, they're they're working with their lecturers who are international and with their with their students that they would have taught in person before. I may be misremembering, but I thought with Poost that they were pre-recorded. Oh, they may be pre-recorded. Um, you might you'd have to check with them. So um, to that end, yes, then we we would be the we would be the first on those grounds. But uh, I try not to be too. Look, too competitive on these mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. We are all going, you know, we are all sort of going in the same direction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also true that uh, the Russian embassy did an international video conference as well, ah. um, a, a little bit after us, if we if we must be competitive. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we were first. Now, uh, will Chosun Exchange seek to do more of this? I mean, do you want to make it into a uh, a quarterly or monthly thing? Yeah, it, I mean, it it depends on. Uh, it depends on appetite on the North Korean side. Yeah. It depends on uh, our ability to to put together quality programs. Uh, that requires, on the Chosun Exchange side, that requires a lot of work. I mean, as I say, we are all volunteers. It takes quite a lot of time. Mm. But also, we need to we need to work with the lecturers. Now, yeah. you know, the lecturers are giving of their uh, of their time for free. Um, so we need to find times in their schedule. Um, and, and not to abuse that. Um, of course, the more we can do, uh, the better. It, the, the great thing about doing online is that we can reach far more people. Mm. Um, we can, for you know, the, the lower per student cost, we can reach far more people that way. 
and of course we can pre-record these um, these presentations and then they can be referred back to in the future so yeah. yes we'd, we'd love to do more we'd love to build on and this. from a logistic perspective it's a lot easier than uh, than having um, trainers give up you know three four or five days of their time and, and come and be in North Korea for that time absolutely yeah. absolutely and the you know the the set of people who are happy to give up a morning's work for a presentation yeah. is much wider than yeah. those who are prepared to travel to north korea for a um, best part of a week <laughs> now having said all that would you personally live in north korea and do this kind of work full-time if you could sure why not uh, no, I mean, look, in, in, in all seriousness, if there was an appetite to do this, if this was possible to do, um, it's something I'd it's something I'd love to do. I've been working with Charleston Exchange for quite a few years now, and a lot of what drives me is the is the reactions that we get and seeing the progression that we get from uh, with with the people that we work with there. Mm. Uh, I do see a real appetite to uh, to learn and. And I, a really good reaction from the students there. So if that became an option in the future, that's something I'd love to do. Difficult question here, but is this, in your view, the, the best or most effective way to help North Korean people? Well, it is a difficult question because when you say help North Korean people... Yeah, okay. Uh, help improve their quality of life. I think it depends on the skill set that you bring to the table. Okay, so um, if I'm... All the different NGOs have different focuses. Mm. Some people, if I was there and I was trained in medicine and trained in, in vaccination, for example, then personally wouldn't be the best use of my time. It would be better served working with one of the organizations that maybe does, um, you know, works in TV or something right. like that. With my background and the fact that I have a background in business and a background in logistics and in operations, then Absolutely, I think it is it is the best. But it, that's not to say that there's some kind of hierarchy and that we you know that everyone should aspire to the same thing. Fascinating. Now, you got any final uh, thoughts to leave us with today, Ian? Ah, uh, oh gosh, um, pithy final remarks. No, I, I I don't really have any. Um, I would say uh, if anyone is interested in finding out more about what yes. we do, uh, please do get in touch. Yeah, so you can uh, you can uh, find our, our website as chosenexchange.org. Uh, the spelling of that Chosen is a little bit idiosyncratic, so walk us through that. It it is. It's Chosen C H O S O N Exchange. Chosen Exchange. So chosenexchange.org. And are you on the Twitter as well? We are on the Twitter. We are all over the Twitter. Okay. And you can find us on there with Joss on Exchange as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Ian Bennett, for being on the uh, the podcast today. No problem, Jacko. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you already have an NK News account and if you're a think tank, business or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access by emailing membership at nknews.org today. Also, if you have any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please send them to podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast, and to Gabby Magnuson, our new post-recording producer genius. Thanks, and listen again next time. <laughs>